makes you such a threat? We choose the right to be who we are. We know the difference between the reality of freedom and the illusion of freedom. There's a way to live with Earth and a way not to live with Earth. We choose the way of Earth. It's about power. Chasha. Ambetu wastelo tanya wachianke chante waste na pechi zapielo. Le chante etaha awogalake le unkipiki wastelo. Ambetu kile wastekete. Greetings and good day and welcome, my relatives. I shake your hands with a good heart. This is a voice from Earth. It's good for all of us to be here. Today will be a good day. You are listening to First Voices Radio and Tiokasen Ghost Horse sending you greetings and strength from the highlands of the Asopus or what Americans and Dutch call the Catskill Mountains. Regardless, it is the highlands of the Esopus in the lands of the Munsee-speaking Lenape. This is an all-native hosted, all-native produced. First Voices Radio and Liz Hill is the producer of First Voices Radio. You can now hear us on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Buzzsprout, Spotify, as well as First Voices IndigenousRadio.org for archive, downloading, and listening. Dr. Ruby Gibson a mixed-blood woman of Lakota, Ojibwe, and Mediterranean descent. Dr. Gibson has spent the past 40 years dedicated to the craft and science of historical trauma reconciliation, cultural healing, and generational well-being among Native and Indigenous peoples. Dr. Gibson founded Freedom Lodge, a 501c3 nonprofit organization in Rapid City, South Dakota, to serve our relatives and communities. Dr. Gibson developed the transgenerational trauma recovery model, somatic archaeology, and is the author of My Body, My Earth, The Practice of Somatic Archaeology, and My Body, My Breath, a tool for transformation, which are available in English, Romanian, and Spanish. Dr. Gibson has developed and teaches in historical trauma masterclass and builds leadership skills in native wellness among the graduates. She also teaches a somatic archaeology masterclass for non-native students, using our body and Mother Earth as benevolent sources of biological, emotional, and ancestral memory. Dr. Ruby's techniques are being field-tested among clients and students with amazing effectiveness. She is honored to witness the courage and amazing capacity that each person has to reconcile suffering as a mother of four beautiful children, one granddaughter, and two grandsons, Dr. Ruby has a heart full of hope for the next seven generations. You can find Dr. Ruby's information at freedomlodge.org 
and mybodymybreath.com and rubygibson.com. And you can find out more about contacting Dr. Ruby Gibson at those sites. Thank you for joining us, Dr. Ruby Gibson. You know, the work that you're doing, historical trauma, reconciliation, cultural healing, and generational well-being among Native people and Indigenous peoples. I'm saying from your studies being all over the world, you actually study places like Australia and Mexico and Canada, and that brings that experience to a place in Rapid City where you work with people in Pine Ridge, the Oglala, Lakota, and and talked about historical trauma recovery in a sense, then help us to understand your work in somatic archaeology, because that's very interesting. So welcome. I'm honored to have you here on First Voices Radio, Dr. Ruby Gibson. Thank you, Tio Kishin. I'm happy to be here today with you and appreciate this opportunity. You know, the the difference between the more recent ancestral healing buzz that's happening on many different levels. When I started doing this work was in the 80s and no one was talking about it. No one was even understood what I meant. I felt like I was on a journey by myself and I would go to every place I could think of to share what I knew from children's groups to chiropractors to (laughs) different organizations. And I couldn't really get the ball rolling because people didn't understand the theories and they didn't believe that there was generational trauma. So based on some of the work from um, that others in our community have done, um, particularly Maria Braveheart, kind of set into motion a different view of it. And I never really did study with her. I I did some, um, read a lot of her literature and research and um, knew that we were kind of having the same conversation in a different way. But, you know, most people who deal with ancestral trauma either deal with it from a spiritual point of view or a mental point of view. And somatic archaeology is all about unearthing history in the body, you know, almost like our body is a walking library. And it's full of so much information and details and memories that when we know how to access it, it's telling our story to ourselves and things about that story that maybe we hadn't connected or didn't know. And somatic archaeology is also biologically based work and meaning that we listen to the body We listen to what the body needs. We track our bodies. You know, we're very focused on symptoms and how they relate to different systems in the body. And we look for cause and effect. This is the effect. What's the cause behind that? And 
So we spend a significant amount of time kind of along those lines. And it's really important to me that people are able to uncover their own story instead of having someone else uncover it for them. <laughs> because we're our own expert on us. And the transformation that occurs when we begin to remember things that we have forgotten about, it shifts us. It's very dynamic. It shifts us in a number of ways, how we think about ourselves, how we think about our families. We begin to understand that sense of cause and effect within our family system. And it's kind of like a person is flowering. <laughs> you know, we use the natural world and the Lakota medicine wheel as a way of being able to display the work and understand the mechanisms of it. So there's five steps to somatic archaeology. I notice, I sense, I feel, I interpret, I reconcile. So we go from center of the wheel to the west, to the south, to the north, to the east, and then back to center again. And within that model, we bring in the animal world, we bring in totems, we, um, people have relationships with certain plants or, or stones, you know, we, we create remedy within the natural world. And if you don't have a relationship with what's out here, it's hard to have a relationship with what's in here because it's all based on the same principles. I just dreamed somatic archaeology into life from the grandmothers who watch over me and guide me and the grandfathers. And, you know, it was a gift. It was a great gift. And my life's purpose is manifesting that gift wherever people are in need. And for years and years, I have been dreaming about working. You know, I was... Um, a student and friend of Frank Fulscrow. And he really set me up inside for service in whatever way that meant. And, you know, this is my service. I started when I was young and my life has been that trajectory of developing, writing, manifesting, creating the nonprofit. It all has just manifested itself in some of the most beautiful and abundant ways. You know, it's a, it's a spirit-driven work, and we've helped thousands of people through this work all around the world. So um, it's been a blessing, certainly. And it's not mine. You know, I don't feel like it belongs to me. It belongs to the people. So I give it away freely. We don't charge for our classes to tribal members and as much for them as it is for me. That's a good road and a good path. You, you are walking, some people call that uh, the red road. 
in a, in a way. And um, I'm thinking about your 40 years of experience and seeing the people, the Native people all over the United States and other countries as well, the Indigenous peoples, and what we've endured or been resilient to rather than resisting, because that means to me, resisting means that we're acknowledging that they are the authority. But when I feel a, re a resilience, I am closer to who I am as that Lakota or whatever people we come from. And from that, we draw that, you know, it's just not a material culture where you say everything's on the outside. We don't recognize it because we don't know who we are on the inside. And when I think about what you said, how the elders, in your case, Frank Woolscroll, showed you a way by example, maybe he had a ceremony with you, I don't know, but I know that, I know that feeling where an elder would naturally guide you, maybe not even by words. And I think what you described to me is sort of somewhat of a cultural etymology, in a sense, a spiritual etymology. And to me, what what helped all this, and could it be helping our people, is a key word called intuition. Now, let me back up here and go back to why it's so needed because of the social ills that we picked up along the way of colonization. And I think, like you said, there's a cause and an effect. And I really like the five steps that you use in somatic archaeology. And, and I've never heard, heard that before. I know working with... Um, several people back home is is that we we had the wiping of the tears ceremonies to help us along the way but that was to understand our place within nature because we had so much help because of nature and when you go to the cities nature is not there but you feel that that great severance or that that distance from nature and a lot of people are in need or hungry because they don't have nature well, I agree with you, and you know, for for me, the medicine wheel represents an ideology as well as a way of life, and I had to put somatic archaeology on the wheel to know that it held water, so to speak, because if it doesn't align with our principles then it doesn't really do much service. So it was important to me, not only because the medicine wheel is nature at its core, but because it's it dictates certain flows of life and, and identification of, of principles and ways of life. So... We come from nature and there we shall return. <laughs> we are nature embodied. And cutting that out of a therapeutic approach, at least in my eyes, does a great disservice to the person who's being worked on because what influences us? Our parents, our great-grandparents, seven generations before us, the our work our relationships but also what influences us is our spiritual values some people come into sessions having none or unable to identify what they are and then it is 
very challenging when you get to the fifth step of somatic archaeology, the reconciliation, because the reconciliation is really about our own spiritual self, either forgiving or remembering or being able to transform what has happened to us. And it's so powerful to be able to see the damage that's happened in your life, but be proactive about recovering from it in a way that isn't hard. <laughs> it's not so intellectual that no one can understand. You know, we, we put it into simple layman's terms so that anybody, irregardless of their age or their profession, can understand the principles. We do these historical trauma master classes and we invite students from all tribal nations since 2020 online. And so we're getting a much broader group of students from so many different reservations and cultures. And, and even that is like this this beautiful kind of mix of of culture and the different experiences that people have had. It doesn't matter what your story is or where you've been, you know, it matters that your spirit's awake. It matters that your body is accessible. But, you know, other than that, there aren't, there isn't much need unless you are suffering, you know, if you're in pain somehow. The therapy is the same uh, based on every person's awareness. And we do these timelines with our students from like the start of their birth when they were born and to this day so that they can track out and see all the different things that have happened to them. And then you can do a timeline of your mother or your father or your siblings and kind of compare it and see where there's returning patterns that you might be able to change or break based on how it influences the family system. We've created a lot of generational healing tools so that it makes it easier for our students and our clients to be able to um, understand what happened to them, understand the parallels of their process. We've had many people who've been able to tell us the influences they've had and how that's impacted their children. As they begin to heal, it's just kind of ripples out in many, many directions. And their children begin to heal, their parents begin to heal, their family system starts waking up and recognizing important things. It's amazing with memory how we stimulate each other like that. I don't know if that's intuition, but I, I sometimes prefer the word instinct. You know, it's our instinct to, because that's like the the life breath um, 
being instinctually compelled to address something or allowing our instinct to guide us rather than our intuition. Um, I think a lot can be said about that, but one of the lot of things that could be said, uh, a question from from a friend of mine, Rina Kadim, who is Israeli, and she said to me the story about her daughter basically asked her, if Mother Earth is our mother, who's Mother Earth's mother? And that was a four-year-old asking her mother. So I want to convey that, which goes on to my mother. When I heard that, I asked my mother by a phone call, and she said this. She said that we cannot speak Lakota without intuition. We can react with our senses, but that keeps us in the present. But it's what we're doing with our wherewithal or intuition. A friend of mine came up with something that I was really thinking about and feeling a lot of our people talk about olden times. They they talk about riding the plains and all that and warriors and all that language. But again, it comes to the cultural etymology, I think, where, where we have forgotten our own language, which is present language. So we've been forced to speak a present phobic language. We don't want to be here. We want to be in the future or in the past, but not here. And I'm feeling that what your work is doing is bringing it all here because you talked about being born to being old. That's the present. That's who we are. And I awakened when I had this thought about standing on the shore and I saw the ships coming. So a view from the shore and the ships are coming from across the seas. 500 plus years ago and that's the viewpoint that that we still have but we're not aware of it and I think that's the present who we are to understand what's the colonization is coming and why we're speaking or being forced to speak a present phobic language and that's a lot I know that but your thoughts once again Ruby and thank you for your patience for even deciphering what I'm saying here. Yeah, <laughs> trying to figure out which question to answer. <laughs> um, I would agree about Lakota and intuition. I've studied it a little bit and heard a lot, but you know, it's a, it's a language of the heart and not a language of the mind. And so in that case, I think intuition would, would certainly be um, relevant. I think there's also something really instinctual about Lakota, the, you know, the certain words that drive us, that draw up our curiosity, that motivate us. You know, it, it kind of, it, it takes me back to that principle of Lakota being a, a beautiful language and a beautiful people. The heart of the people is so strong and is so deep, blessed in a way. When you understand, then you start aligning. And when you align, you become those things that you're 
that you're getting exposed to. And in the, the past nine years that I've been training tribal members, you know, they all have that feeling about their own tribe, their own people. And it, it makes your heart bigger, <laughs> just understanding all of that and those connections and those things that bind us that we don't really even recognize. So, you know, I, I always say to my students that Mother Earth is our mother, but she also has a mother. She has a mother. She has a mother and she has a mother. And boy, those grandmothers are mad. <laughs> and, you know, they're very powerful. And, you know, we don't, we don't think about, we think about the generations of humans, but not the generations of the natural world or, you know, botany studies that, or, you know, other fields of study. But to me, it's just, amazing where all of that comes from and how certain things get retained as value and how other things get completely forgotten. But we work primarily with survival stress, which is really at the cause of cause and effect. There's so much survival stress still being amplified that it's a hard pattern to break. So we spend a lot of time on that because once you can get through that survival stress, then things start to change. You start stop operating on that level that there's not enough or there's insufficient this or that. I've learned a lot. Over certainly over the past nine years. Um, before that, I was a foster mother for um, Grandpa Fools Crow's great grandchildren for two years. And I watched, they were little, and I watched them grow up and I watched them start to mature and the way that, that they were taking in care and nourishment and, you know, watch them mature into young men and women and, and then watch their destiny, you know, the way that it played out. And no matter how much positive energy we put into those kids and knowledge and care and loving, they all had very, very challenging outcomes to their lives. And that was really sad for me because we thought we had done our best, but at that point we weren't helping them address it. We were just creating a different environment for them. You know, but I learned a lot about the propensity and the strength of trauma and how it gets so interwoven into our story and into the way we respond to our story or respond to other people with the same story. You know, I'd love to write a book on this whole concept someday because it's, 
it's fascinating the ways in which we cope. And we'll return to Dr. Ruby Gibson here on First Voices Radio soon after this. My name is Teokasen Ghostors. Thanks for joining us. Anti-Drug 2023 by Bridget Loudon. A single anti-drug. Welcome back to First Voices Radio. My name is Teokasen Ghost Horse. Thank you for joining us. Dr. Ruby Gibson, a mixed-blood woman of Lakota, Ojibwe, and Mediterranean descent. Dr. Gibson has spent the past 40 years dedicated to the craft and science of historical trauma reconciliation, cultural healing, and generational well-being among Native and Indigenous peoples. As a mother of four beautiful children, one granddaughter and two grandsons, Dr. Ruby has a heart full of hope for the next seven generations. You can find Dr. Ruby's information at freedomlodge.org and mybodymybreath.com and rubygibson.com. And you can find out more about contacting Dr. Ruby Gibson at those 
sites. And now let's finish out the second half of our interview on First Voices Radio with Dr. Ruby Gibson here on First Voices Radio. Again, thank you for joining us. It really reminded me of many things and all the questions I try to squeeze in in was supposedly a comment and my thoughts is healing from this in, in my own journey. It's like I had to learn a different language because that person on the shore watching the ships coming was to understand their culture, so to speak, and why they came in the great fear they brought over. And understanding what happened then and the history is in 593, grieving mourning was outlawed in 593 AD. And it was outlawed for centuries because they needed the, the manpower, human energy to bury the dead and also to, to go to war to protect religions. And in that time, there was a lot of holy wars, so to speak, in Europe. So land was being taken away, pestilence, famine, plagues. So what happened was they came across the sea and brought that survivor's language, that one fearful language of fear. And they came to a people, and I, I feel that we didn't have that in abundance and appreciation and language and taking, you know, being involved with nature. And so when that happened to us, that great trauma happened to us, that's when we begin to learn the survivor's language. And to me, that's what we are still in the presence of, is we're trying to figure, and you you alluded to it, is, is that we need to learn a different language, so to speak, in order to really understand our place in this time as Native people, because it's still a different system to us. You know, are we fixing ourselves up to fit their system? Are we fixing... Or are we just recognizing that we have a we have a place already? And as you described it with Mother Earth. And I think from my travels that the rest of the people are hungry for that. That what you're describing is that they too miss miss Earth just as much as we've been away from it. Um, even in Dakotas, you know, because we we have housing clusters now and projects, and we're all squeezed into little towns and basically. That Tiosh Baye that I heard you talk about in the recent interview is the mainstay of all of us and that value system, that medicine wheel within the Tiosh Baye, I think that's vital. You know, I mean, it's a guiding principle. It's a gift. And it can be, I mean, you can make it simple to understand or difficult to understand, but at its core, it's it's just simple. Um, natural and intuitive. All those things, you know, I track a lot of things around the medicine wheel and kind of break it down into different avenues of experience, encompass the whole medicine wheel, the way of life, the meaning for the Sundance, the teepee, the, you know, all of the fundamental things, spiritual things for our people. You know, there's information out there. It's just hard to find sometimes. 
I want to talk about your um, your your recovery center that you're planning, and I think it's very important for people all over the United States and up into Canada here that this prototype that you're doing, the historical trauma recovery center, is, is centered around the, the Freedom Lodge, is it not? Yeah, we were brainstorming a name for it this morning with our board, and we got to. Iglupsa Chante Otipi, which translates into the Renewal Heart Lodge. And it will be run by Freedom Lodge and will offer somatic archaeology sessions on the phone, in person. We'll do circles, we'll do youth groups, talking circles, you know, whatever the community has a need for. We're in the process of surveying our our Pine Ridge community to see what their need and and if it's something that they would support. Because we're just making an executive decision that we need this. You know, that's because we're completely overworked and don't have the space and time to take care of all the people who call requesting sessions. It's just a lot, you know. So we thought we would set this up and the people who will work there are the graduates of our historical trauma masterclass. So they're all trained and excited and ready to go. Sounds like a lot of potential going on there. And um, well, I have, we have a couple minutes here and I wanted to, go back to the beginning of our conversation here about um, this question kept popping up all through through this um, interview, but other interviews too. And can, the question is, can one really heal the ancestors or ancestral healing? Absolutely. Absolutely. I've seen it. I've experienced it. My father died of alcoholism. He was adopted by a white couple. His grandfather had died in, um, I think, World War I and came home with syphilis, died of syphilis, and left a wife and a child. The child was my grandmother. And the man's wife, or my grandmother, was arrested for drunkenness and lewdness and put in prison. Now, <laughs> they don't do that to white women. Right? So she spent her life in a prison where it was so successful because it had the first female warden of all prisons in the United States. And her belief was, and she told this to all her inmates, Forget where you came from. It doesn't make any difference anymore. You're here to serve people. So you can block all that out of your head and just do what you're told to do. Early on, memory was being, you know, squashed in my family. And I didn't, I learned when I was maybe 33 years old that my father had been adopted. We didn't know before then. I was massaging my mother and it just kind of <laughs> oozed out. 
And I was so blown away um, because I had never understood. And there was just this series of lies and mistruths that had filtered through our whole family system. And so my first obligation was to myself and to sort that out. And that's where I, I learned it firsthand was from myself and, and hearing my story. And um, it's a really tragic story, but it makes me understand more of who I am. And as I understand who I am, I'm more able to recognize my strengths, my strengths, my weaknesses, my power, my um, lineage, you know, all of that. And I, for better or worse, I think it's influenced the woman I've become and has driven some of that, you know, we've got to remember, you know, because if we forget, then what happens to that story, that knowledge, and how does it get passed forward? So, you know, for each person to do that and to be able to pass it on strengthens the next generation and gives them certain principles and insights to their family story. And I would say that's probably the biggest thing that the people who go through the program experience is that ability to really know themselves, you know, because from that self-knowing brings you to belonging. And when you belong, the survival stress goes away. Belonging is a really important part of who we are, you know especially with so much social shame going on. So I don't know if that answers that question. That's great. Yeah, survivors, survivor to thriver. And to really remember that, he, to me, healing the ancestors is remembering them. And yes. that we carry that ancestry inside ourselves. And the way you have, um, you know, formed Freedom Lodges, or as you say, the the new name, Renewal Heart Lodge. It's, it's an awesome name. Thank you for that. Um, so I don't know what else to say, but thank you very much. I'm honored. And it's really, I hope this really goes out and helps people. And I'll give the information about the lodge. And if you want to update it in your bio, that's fine. And Tiochen, it's been really nice to meet you. I enjoyed our conversation as well. And um I wish you a good solstice year. Oh yeah, that's right. Uh, I have a fire tomorrow night, so. But um, <laughs> that's great. So thank you again, Ruby and Doksha Ake.
Hello again, this is Teokus and Ghost Horse. That was Ship of Fools by World Party. I want to thank you for being here once again on First Voices Radio. We're going to go out with something that's kind of themish to what we're talking about. To me, there's an addiction to a society, an addiction to a system. We have like short-term agreements and without long-term effects. We don't realize that the agreements that we're taking up to have it now, but the thing is we won't have it later because we don't understand the consequences of our decisions today. And I think that's a key in the society. A lot of Native people are getting caught up in that and have gotten caught up in that. And as part of maybe understanding that the thinking changes, has to change for the climate change to actually turn around, if that's what it is. So maybe it's the system. Of course it is. All right. I want to thank you again. We're going to go out with Another theme music, this one is by Steppenwolf. And this goes way back, I believe it's in the late 60s. It's called The Pusher. Doksha Ake Wachinktelo. Teokusen Ghost Horse with First Voices Radio. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
Just one more fix, love. 